You are listening to Moving On With Pain, the podcast. This podcast is presented by the Danish Society for Pain and Physiotherapy. This episode is created with and for the European Pain Federation, EFIC. If you'd like to watch the following content in video format, you can visit the EFIC Facebook page and head to videos. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello everyone, this is our first ever live transmission from a European pain conference. My name is Dr. Morten Hu and I'm from Denmark. I'm a pain scientist and a clinician. And it's my privilege as vice chair of the educational committee from EFIC to interview all our plenary speakers. And this morning, our first plenary speaker is Professor Antoinette Marsen von den Brink from Holland. Yeah. You were originally trained as a pharmacologist. Yeah. And you did your PhD in, I, I'm going to pronounce this slowly, so neurovascular pharmacology, yeah, is that correct? that's correct. Yeah. What does that even mean? Yeah, in fact, uh, we tend to think about medicine as being either vascular medicine, which is part of internal medicine, or neuroscience. Which okay, so vascular. What, what does vascular mean? For people who are not doctors, what does uh, vascular, vascular mean? Vascular means that uh, we are looking at blood vessels. Oh, okay. So, very yeah. simple. Yeah, yeah. And neuro means that we are looking at uh, the brain and nerves. But yep. in fact, there's a lot of interaction between the nerves and the blood vessels. So neurovascular means that uh, we are looking at both the blood vessels as well as their innervation by nerves that are surrounding them. So would it be fair to say that you're looking at how the brain and the nervous system interacts with the vascular yeah. system? Yeah, exactly. Would that be yeah. all right? Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and we're going to talk much more about your topic, which mm-hmm. is migraine. Yeah. But before we get into that, um, mm-hmm. let me just say to you, so we are going to try and introduce the, the plenary speakers, so the, the really big speakers at this conference. We're going to present them here live for you to um, have an idea what they are all about. But we're going to do it without using the normal lingo, so not the sciencey words. We're going to mm-hmm. try and, and talk like what we really are like yeah. normal people, right? Yeah, quite normal. Um, and speaking of normal people, mm-hmm. you did a PhD in 1999. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a while back, isn't it? It's 20 years. I'm getting old, I know. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I said. Yeah. Uh, I graduated the same year, so mm-hmm. I guess that's all right. But uh, can you remember anything from 1999? Yeah, definitely. If I think about my personal life, uh, it was quite exciting. We were uh, buying a house just the week before my PhD. Oh. And the week after my PhD, we were actually moving and there was some reconstruction to be done. So the week before my PhD, I spent hidden with books and papers. And the day after my PhD, I uh, went to the house and was painting walls That's and good. packing That's good. Uh, boxes. And, and speaking of not doing science, what mm-hmm. do you like to do when you're not doing science? Oh, too much. <laughs> I uh, have three children. So, oh, congratulations. Uh, that is quite, what age? Uh, 18, 16 and 12. Oh, so, beautiful. So uh, it's quite intense, but it's really wonderful. Yeah. And um, I have a dog since a year and uh, everyone complains I'm talking too much about my dog. So <laughs> I will do it in this occasion as well. I'm fond of the Does dog. Does your kids think you're talking more about the dog than them? 
Sometimes, but they talk also more about the dog than about me, so it's oh, okay. usual. Yeah, yeah, okay. But you all like each other more than you like the dog, I assume. Or is it just a part no. of the family? It's part of the family, okay. the most popular part of the family, yeah. yeah. But that's interesting because yeah. let me just jump a, a mm-hmm. ship here because I know you're doing what we call translational research, yeah. which is doing research in animal yeah. and translating the findings into what it might mean, mean for patients. Exactly. Yeah. So how do you feel about having a pet dog and doing mm-hmm. animal research? I, is there yeah. a conflict in you? It's a tricky one. Um, I considering it uh, totally different uh, frames because otherwise I would get uh, crazy. Yeah. And um, in my heart, I'm not too fond of doing animal experiments because I love animals. And uh, on the other hand, I also love humans and I want to help humans and I want to uh, help medicine to go forward. There's some questions that we cannot answer in humans. So, yeah, so why, why, cannot, why is there things we can't answer? without yeah. doing animal research? It's a very good question. Um, I think uh, sometimes we have observations in humans. It's called epidemiology. It's in fact looking at big cohorts of humans and uh, doing statistics. Is there an association between this and that? And it leads to a hypothesis. And sometimes doing uh, experiments on patients, you can test the hypothesis. But you cannot test all hypotheses. So no. sometimes you are stuck in a circle. And then you really need animal experiments to go uh, forward. And um, sometimes you also want to intervene in order to answer a question. And of course, ethically, you can't do everything uh, in a human being. Yeah. So, so then we need animal experiments. Yeah, so the, the difference, as I understand it, the mm-hmm. difference is you can ask a human yeah. what happens. Yeah. But they really cannot tell you what is really happening inside of them? No, you cannot look everywhere. But you can do that uh, in an animal, right? You can look in an yeah. animal. There are other methods. Yeah. You can open their skull and look in their brain. And now, of course, that wouldn't be acceptable in humans. But, for example, yeah, we will discuss it later on. I'm interested in effects of hormones. Yeah. And in an animal, you could say, okay, now I will... Uh, remove the ovaries yeah. or I will supplete them with this hormone yeah. and that hormone and of course ethically it's not uh, doable in a human being. But it's not something you invent. There will be like people and ethical committees suggesting Definitely. that it's alright what you do and, and yeah. there are models that you can use and some things you can't do. Is that right? Exactly yeah. and it's as difficult to get an experiment done in an animal as in a human being yeah. and we really it's not that we can just pick animals and maltreat them. There's a whole ethics committee looking at it. We have to justify every single mouse which is good because what I told you yeah it's not nice to to treat an animal and use them for the well-being of humans. Yeah, yeah that's the step that we make. But yeah. I think sometimes, uh, yeah, with, uh, without diminishing the fact that we are using them, uh, yeah, we treat them really as well as we treat our patients. Yeah. And after an operation, they get analgesia and uh, they are really well treated. So. It's not my favorite part, no. but uh, I think it's really and it's, necessary. It's a really touchy topic as well. But yeah, it is. Let's just leave it for now, and yeah. and maybe we'll come back to the research yeah. done. But yeah. uh, I, I noticed that you you told me before that you are very interested in music. Yeah, 
I am. What is that? Is, I, I assume that has nothing to do with your research. You're not researching anything related no, to no, music, I'm are you? Not. No, no, it's a branch of science. And, and, uh, yeah, but I'm not working on it. Do you know, by any chance, the number hit, uh, the number one hit of 1999 when you graduated your PhD? Well, that was. I would have to think. Was it Cher? It was Cher. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Uh, yeah. What was it called? Uh, I have it here on my notes. It's called Believe. Yeah. I remember it when I mm-hmm. hear it, but when I read it, it, it didn't ring a bell. But once you hear it, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. is that? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you feel it's not that long ago, right? It feels like it's, it's almost uh, just a few years ago, but it's yeah, twenty. But anyways, yeah, yeah, it tells uh, something about a few other things that happened in 1999. Yeah. So the Nobel Prize, Peace Nobel Prize, was yeah. given to Doctors Without Borders. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite impressive. Yeah, uh, nice, I think. And uh, in 1999, the number six billion citizen living citizen in the yeah. world was born so there's getting more and more seven, of us yeah and uh, the more we get mm-hmm. the more diseases are we or the more people yeah. will suffer indeed we assume. yeah we have no numbers so that, maybe uh, maybe this would yeah. be a good time for our listeners to to maybe get an impression of of your sort of professional yeah um cadence who are you professionally yeah i'm um associate professor of pharmacology at erasmus mc in uh, the netherlands um, that's part of internal medicine, and uh, besides, I'm in the board of the Dutch and the European Headache uh, Society. So I'm second vice president of the European Headache Federation. I'm also in the board of the Dutch and the European uh, Federation of Pharmacol- Pharmacological uh, Societies. So quite active. So you, yeah, yeah, you got a finger in everything. It sounds. I. I um, try to combine headache and pharmacology because yeah. uh, I think there's an added value always looking wider than just one profession or yeah. just one level of research but we were discussing animal or clinical and I think by combining then you have added value. Brilliant. Hmm. And so you, you're here in this chair because yeah. you're giving what we call the plenary speak, or yeah. a plenary speak. So you're talking to the masters, to everyone here. Mm-hmm. Normally, most speakers will be speaking in small groups, but you're speaking to the whole lot. Yeah, it's so a congratulations. Honor. That's Thank a big you very honor. Much. Yeah. Um, could you could you tell us uh, in in sort of layman's terms, yeah. what are you going to say in that? So people who can't yeah. be here and who might not be doctors yeah. or or elsewhere, what would what would you be telling them? if you met them for a coffee afterwards. Yeah. Um, I will be speaking about migraine in women. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it is something special because migraine occurs three times more often in women than in men. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we were talking about epidemiology and observing and it's exactly there that from observations, we know very well that after the first menstruation, girls start having migraines more often. And women tend to have migraines during their menstruation and during pregnancy it changes. And after menopause it gets less, but during the menopausal transition it gets worse. So we have all red alarm bells yelling at us. Yeah, it's hormones involved. Yeah. And, and, and it, mind me, what is, a, what is a hormone? Yeah, that we don't know. Yeah, the, so basically uh, it's a, hormone a sex is, steroid hormone. Oh, yeah, what's yeah, a hormone in yeah, general? Yeah, yeah, basically, so yeah, it's a it's signaling a molecule that, yeah, in the it's released yeah. from an organ and yeah. then it's flowing through the blood. So yeah. it can reach any place in yeah. the body, in fact. And many people will know estrogens and progesterone. Yeah. And these are the kind of hormones we think they are involved. But we don't know exactly. 
And uh, I'm quite convinced that if you would understand this hormonal component in migraine, yeah, then you could reduce this difference between females and males to a huge extent. Yeah. And it would be an enormous uh, achievement, but it is not understood yet. So that's no. what I want to understand. So let me give this. So there's a lot of people with migraine mm. in the one world. Billion. How many? Now. One million. Yeah, billion. Uh, one billion people yeah. suffer yeah. from migraine yeah. in the world. Yeah. And, and the majority of these are women. Yeah, but also men. But, and the rest will be men, I assume. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or um, the, <laughs> yeah, define their well, we, own we kinds know, of but let's, yeah. let's just say, for binary sakes, yeah. let's just say yeah. the majority is women. There yeah. are some men, of course, yeah. uh, and there are quite a many people because there's a billion total. Yeah. And then what some studies seem to suggest is that uh, it, it correlates. So when the women have their periods yeah. or when they stop having periods, yeah. The migraine, if they're having period, the migraine comes. And if they stop having, when they stop having periods, yeah. the migraine disappears. It's not a black and white rule, but no. that's but the it's tendency sort of, Yeah, overall. that's a tendency. Yeah. So that sounds like a really good topic because that sounds really, you know, obvious. That is. Yeah. And it's a bit strange uh, that it hasn't been pursued really very much. And so how did, how did you go about studying this? Because it's a really, I mean, you can't ask a billion people, can you? No. <laughs> no. So how did how did you study it? Yeah, it's um, difficult and uh, it's very complicated what happens in a woman uh, hormonally, and of course also in a man. And uh, so what I did as a start, I thought, now let's simplify the whole model. And I started with experiments in rats, and there we go again with yeah. the animals. Yeah. But to, to break down the system into pieces that are understandable, because mm -hmm. the whole body with feedback loops and hormones circulating around yeah. is so complicated. And but the thing is that uh, one hormone doesn't do one thing, it does a exactly, myriad of things. Exactly, it influences yeah. lots of other hormones. Yeah. So, so you, you studied the receptors or what did you uh, study? What I studied, yeah, again, a yeah. neurovascular component. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in uh, migraine, there's one of the cranial nerves, yeah. uh, the trigeminal nerve, you call it. We yeah. think that is very important and it releases a peptide, so a small protein. Yeah. So the trigeminal yeah. nerve is the nerve that also gives you the sensation of the skin in your face yeah. or part yeah. of your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And you yeah. studied that nerve in rats? And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In uh, one, yeah, the meninges. Yeah. And uh, then in the rats, I removed the ovaries, so yeah. the females were depleted of their own hormones, and I uh, suppleted them with either estrogen or progesterone or the combination. Okay, so by removing the ovaries, you mm -hmm. could control what hormones were exactly. in the rat at the time? Yeah, yeah, and that's not possible in a human. No. But yeah, it's yeah. a simplification to make start. Yeah. And then we found, okay, estrogen seems to be important in this system because with estrogen suppletion, we found that yeah, the process we think is important in the meninges was changed. So when they didn't have estrogen, they had more pain-like pain reactions? Yeah, less. Yeah? Or less pain-like. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and with so, estrogen, it So went with more worse. estrogen, yeah. they had more pain-like yeah. responses? Yeah, so yeah. that was in fact a link that we thought, okay, we are in the right direction yeah. and this is the system. And then exactly we were at the point of translational science. Yeah. And so yeah, a rat is not a human and just giving one hormone, it's an oversimplification yeah. and it's not steady hormone levels that we are interested in, but fluctuations during the menstrual cycle or during life. Yeah. 
So then we made a switch from the rats to the human. And uh, yeah, in the human, we cannot uh, open the skull, as I told you, and look at the meninges, but you yeah. were already... So the meninges would be the, the, the sort of outlayer of... So it's within the bone yeah. skull, but it's on the outside, outside of the of brain. Outside of the brain, yeah. exactly. And, and the concept is that the, the vascular system there, so the blood system there, yeah. is somehow related to migraine. Is that correct? Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's the nerves over there. They give signals to uh, their origin, and that leads finally to headache and associated yeah. symptoms. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we realized that these nerves are not only going, uh, no, yeah, you said already to the jaw and the face, but the same branch that is going to the meningeal, it's going uh -huh. to the forehead. Yeah. So then we made a model where we can stimulate the forehead and it's not painful and yeah. we can look at really And how did, with there. cold or pressure or how did no, you do that? No, with uh, capsaicin. With cap and so with chili peppers exactly. basically. Yeah. So I think everyone knows yeah. the sensation of making an Asian meal and yeah. cutting a chili pepper yeah. and by accident touching your face. Yeah. And but you smeared it in the foreheads. Yeah, on yeah. the forehead skin yeah. and it releases that small peptide that yeah. we were talking about. And um, substance P and CGRP, CGRP are these ones. Mainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's very interesting. Calcitonin gene related peptide, yeah. it's called. And we did it in women during the menstrual cycle and uh, also women after the menopause. And then we observed that uh, in patients who report uh, migraine during the menstrual cycle, yeah, the cyclicity over the month is disturbed mm -hmm. compared to healthy women. Okay. So, so yeah, disturbed in, in what direction? Is Are they having... Yeah, it's very complicated yeah. because uh, I expected, because migraine attacks often occur during menstruation, so yeah. I thought if we induce this peptide release, it will be the highest during the menstruation. Yeah. Yeah. And in healthy women without migraine, indeed, it was the highest. So okay. I thought now in women with migraine, it will be even higher. Okay, but so what, what did you measure? In healthy uh, women, what did you ask them? Uh, we didn't ask, but uh, we measured an increase in dermal blood flow. Oh, because okay. that's so exactly the blood flow the neurovascular yeah. mechanism. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, we are measuring a peptide release from nerves. Yeah. And we are measuring uh, the release of the blood vessels yeah. in the skin. And it's non-invasive, so we are not hurting. No, not, it's basically uh, yeah. a thermometer you use on the forehead. Is that correct? Sorry? You use a thermometer. You just measure the, the heat yeah. on no, the forehead no, no, or, the, the heat. or the skin It's the laser Doppler. It's a perfusion. Yeah, laser. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. But uh, it doesn't hurt. It's, no. We don't have to so, touch So the when healthy women yeah. get chili plasters yeah. in, in the forehead... Yeah. They have more heat coming off their forehead during menstruation. Is yeah, that more blood flow. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And how is that then in patients with migraine? Yeah, that is uh, quite surprising because it did not increase during menstruation. Okay. Although we would have expected that the response yeah. would be even higher. Yeah. So. Um, so did they look like healthy subjects, or did they have no, reduced? No, they deviate from healthy subjects. Okay. So definitely, we are on the right track. Yeah. That's what I'm convinced. But of. the opposite direction of what you thought. As usual, yeah. uh, research <laughs> opens more questions. Yeah. And there are lots of things you could think about to explain this, because yeah. there may be compensatory mechanisms, or sometimes when receptors are exposed to a compound, they get less, so therefore you get a reciprocal diminished response. So yeah. there are lots of things, but anyway, yeah, they differ from healthy women. 
And uh, we are on the right track, but we are not there yet. And, uh, but and it's, yeah, it's interesting because for me as a scientist, it opened lots of questions. Yeah. And as a researcher, you're not always aware of perception of patients. But uh, mm-hmm. it was really surprising that many patients, because it also appeared in a press release and in a paper, they were so happy to find out because they feel quite stigmatized. Yeah. Because, yeah, menstrual complaints are not sexy. No. Headache is yeah. not a sexy no. complaint. Yeah. So migraine during menstruation, it's yes. definitely not something uh, people are advertising no. about themselves. And finding that there were really physical abnormalities was for them a kind of a justification that yeah. they really suffer from a real disease. And so uh, I sense yeah. there's so much more we could, I would love to ask you about yeah. this, but in, in, in terms of time, I think we should finish off. But there are a few questions I would really yeah. like to ask you before we do. So has anyone looked at patients who are using contraceptives. So they yeah. would influence the hormones, right? Yeah, it's the very obvious question uh, yeah. to ask when speaking about hormones and uh, looking in clinical practice. Some patients respond that they get better and others get worse, but there are no controlled clinical trials mm-hmm. to verify this effect. And I'm very happy that we now received from the Dutch government a grant so we are, oh, yeah, yeah, right now doing a clinical trial controlled to look whether oral contraceptives help. And again, I think, yeah, we are in the loop eh, about translational science and clinics and going back to animals because these contraceptives, they uh, target quite some yeah, receptors, we call it, eh, yeah. the target for a hormone. Yeah. And if we know if these contraceptives are effective, I think then we go back to the rats and mice again and look whether we can and refine the it, response yeah, yeah. and finally get something that would be effective against mm-hmm. migraine without side effects that so if, if you were to if you were to come up with a, a wish yeah realistically yeah what do you think this will bring you in if we had this conversation in mm-hmm. 10 or 20 years yeah what do you think will come out of your research what I hope that uh, I can identify a receptor that's really uh, important in uh, getting the migraine after hormonal fluctuations, yeah. that I'm able to intervene with this receptor. And I think so another, basically some, some type of pharmacology that will help patients with migraine definitely. by interacting with the neurovascular system. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. And maybe a nice last addition because we have been speaking about women. Yeah, but of course, yeah, cause of migraine patients is men, and yeah. we don't want to forget about men. But we also have made an observation that estrogen levels in men are higher in men with migraine than in men without migraine. So I think uh, it's very important to realize that looking at these mechanisms, it's not just helping women, but it will help men as well. It's just understanding yeah. the underlying mechanisms. And men have hormones as well, so why wouldn't uh, exactly. it? Yeah, exactly. We tend to call it male or female yeah. hormones, but females do have the male hormones, males do have the female exactly. hormones, and I think it's similar mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah. And just the last question. If if I was a patient with migraine, yeah. um, what do you think is the best thing you could tell me? It's uh, a tricky one, yeah. of course. Uh, but so I if, think I, the if most, I was wondering yeah. if I if I had migraine, I had yeah. headaches, and I was wondering if it's migraine. What, yeah. would, you, what would you? The advice most important be? advice would be seek help. 
And uh, because there are now quite some treatment options, there are even new drugs coming right now. Yeah. And uh, what you hear too often, and then I'm going back to the women again, uh, it's also familiar. So women having menstrual migraines, they really um, suffer a lot. And imagine a girl, she starts having migraines with her menorque at age 12, and it continues until her menopause so after 50. Yeah. It means if she has it every month, she spends uh, four to five years of her life. Yeah really being severely ill in a dark room, yeah, vomiting, yeah. and that's horrible. And often in these families, uh, mothers have it, sisters And, and there are useful treatments out yeah, there. Yeah, but the experience of the older generation yeah. is often that it's not the case. Oh, so okay. they tend to accept it and it belongs to them, it belongs to life. But and medicine has, de has developed, so yeah. there are new, new drops there. What about other than drops? Is there anything, so let's say, I'm a migraine patient yeah. and I'm already getting drops that seems to work, but I yeah. want to know if I can do anything else. Is there anything else you would advise me to do? It uh, differs a lot what patients themselves report, because if you look at uh, triggers, some patients yeah. mention certain types of food or wine. So avoiding yeah. things that trigger the migraine. What about something yeah. like exercise? It seems to be the right answer for anything. Does I, exercise have an effect on migraine? I think it has an uh, effect on health in general. Yeah. So everyone should exercise. Yeah. And, uh, but it wouldn't necessarily uh, be because it reduces the amount of migraine or the frequency of migraine attacks. Um, no, uh, there is no clear data on that. But I think the general perception of health yeah, really changes yeah. Uh, with exercise. What we have not been discussing yet is that migraine is also a cardiovascular risk factor. Yeah. And we don't understand exactly the so underlying mechanisms. Thrombosis and stroke. And yeah, it has stroke. an increased risk for a stroke, myocardial infarction. Yeah. So uh, quite some so conditions. If people, if people with migraine were active, mm -hmm. they might reduce that risk, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's not ideally. scientifically no, based, no, I would ideally. say, because we don't understand the underlying yeah. mechanisms yet. It's one of my other research topics. Yeah. But I think exercising and having a healthy constitution, yeah, it's beneficial for everything and it increases health. So, so, definitely. so let me just sum up and see if you would agree with yeah. what I think you've said. Um, mm -hmm. There are a lot of people suffering from migraine. Definitely. Um, both men and women suffer. Yeah. And if, if you're one of these people, seek help if you haven't yeah. already. Because even though maybe your parents or grandparents didn't have any effect of the medication, yeah. new medications out there. And also be aware that even though you have migraine, it might not reduce your pain, but it will still have health benefits. Yeah. So be active. Would that sum it up? Yeah, yeah? absolutely. Is there anything you want to say? No, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Well, thank you so much for being our first uh, person here and for being so nice to me. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah.